Hello, and welcome to episode 36 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Today's guest is my good friend, Jackie Miller. Jackie is the CEO and president of Bespoken, a communications coaching firm utilizing practical theater techniques to help individuals and teams own their voice and speak with purpose. Jackie and I have led workshops together, and she has written guest posts for the Meteor blog, which you can check out at blog.meteor.com. And if you don't know, Meteor is my business, and our blog is focused on effective meetings and team collaboration. The blog has dozens of articles written by me and my colleagues, as well as special guest authors like Jackie. So you should check it out, blog.meteor.com, and Meteor has two E's, so it's M-E-E-T-E-O-R. So Jackie and I talk about what it means to own your voice, how to use your body to center yourself and prepare to communicate effectively, and why women's voices are heard differently in the workplace. I hope you enjoy the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now, here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Jackie, thank you so much for joining me today. I have to start by saying that I've had the pleasure of being both a client of yours and a partner of yours in co-leading a workshop. And every time that we get together and talk about work stuff at all or anything, really, it's just so much fun. And I'm really excited for you to be here and to share all of your great insights and wisdom with my audience today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I could not agree more. Our conversations about the work that we do and the time we collaborated are really a highlight in this work. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so I want to start with something really basic, which is the tagline of Bespoken. It says, own your voice. What does that mean? That's a great question. No one has ever asked me that specifically before. It's exciting. It's a multi-layered answer, and I don't think it's the same for every person. In this work, I encounter folks from all different types of professions. And so owning their voice in the world in which they are trying to communicate and be heard can be very different from the next person's. So in broad strokes, I think owning your voice means in the moment when you want to communicate whatever that thought is, and to whomever that audience is, you feel empowered and understand how to do so. And that can mean feeling confident and having the tools to move through nerves and anxiety. And that can also mean understanding your audience and how you need to say what you need to say so that it will resonate. So do you think that everyone could get better at owning their own voice? Or is there a particular type of person or type of situation where we struggle with that? Mm. I do think that this is a learned skill. I often use the analogy of a communication skill or ability to be like strengthening a physical muscle. If at first you feel a particular weakness in one area that could be projection, volume. Perhaps you identify as an introvert and 
speaking to an audience of 10, 15 or more is the last thing you would want to do. There are techniques that I will teach people that enable them to tap into their breath and diaphragm and vocal projection in order to combat that. I also think that the reverse of somebody who is great at winging it and can get up in front of an audience with perhaps little to no preparation, but then they lose their way and they're not clear and they're not succinct. Again, there are tools we can work on together in order to stay on message and hold your audience's attention well throughout the entire time you're speaking. So it is absolutely learned and it can absolutely be adapted to the many different kinds of communication styles out there. Everybody's different. So let's talk about a specific example or a specific technique because I I found it to be such like a fresh of breath air and like a, a totally different way of thinking about my body and my presence when we were doing the workshop together. So can you give one of the examples of you know, how to do that breath work or diaphragm work or or really any technique that you think will be the easiest to explain while people can't like see what you're doing? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think before I get into the weeds of explaining it, it's important to let people know uh, all of the work that I do is being rooted from the world of theater comes from a place of helping people feel in control and be present in the moment during in theater, what is often referred to as extraordinary circumstances. And, you know, that's a big word. It seems like a you know, very exaggerated phrase. But I think it's true that when you are doing something nerve-wracking, think about the theater. You have people ostensibly staring at you in the dark. You're supposed to pretend they're not there. Right? You're saying words that someone else has written. You need them to sound as if it's the first time you're saying them and that they're your own words and do that night after night. And so theater technique comes from this place to help people succeed in those types of dynamics that we don't often move through in our day to day. And also think about in the theater before there was electricity and the ability to amplify the voice, how to be heard in the last row if you were performing it. Carnegie Hall or on Broadway, we're all born with this really fantastic internal amplification system. And that consists of the diaphragm and our voice. And that connects to our breath and our intention of what we want to communicate. So in order to tap into this powerhouse that we all have, the first step is to bring awareness to your alignment and to your spine. And I refer to this as, quote, being on your spine. And if you think about it, the spine begins the tailbone and actually extends all the way up in between your eyes. And so coming to a place of neutral with your feet directly underneath your hips, your toes facing forward, and then thinking about your rib cage being properly balanced on top of that. And then if you could think about if I was in the room with you, pulling an invisible string out of the top of your head and let that lift you and bring space into your midsection and stand a little bit taller and allow your shoulders to be a little more open. It's a very interesting feeling if you don't often stand this way. I think, you know, we're typically hunched over our computers in today's day and age or looking down at our phones as we're 
you know, waiting for the train. And so to be up and open and take in the entire space, what does that do to your awareness of your power, of your sense of yourself in the space? And that's the place to begin. And then gently bring a hand to your lower abdomen over your belly button and breathe in through your nose for a count of three and let that breath drop in. Allow the diaphragm, which is a muscle that acts like a plunger, if you will, to help the lungs inflate to their fullest capacity. And then exhale through your mouth for a count of three. And do that a couple of times. It's like push-ups for your lungs and your breath. It is a muscle and it will get stronger the more you use it. Last thing I'll say for this exercise, if anybody's interested, if getting to this place of breathing from your diaphragm is feeling a little out of reach, another nice exercise to try is actually laying on the floor with your knees bent and your feet flat. And if you have something at home, like a bathrobe tie or a belt, and you can put that around your knees and that takes all the pressure off your lower back and put something light over your belly button, like a book, and send your breath into your lower belly while laying on the floor and try and make the book go up and down. So sort of an easier, nice way to make a mental thumbprint for yourself of what it feels like to breathe into this space. There's, there's your walkthrough. There's your virtual diaphragmatic breath exercise. But I already feel like, and I remember having the similar kind of feeling at the workshop too, of like feeling more present and feeling stronger, which is super bizarre to say that you can just sit differently and breathe differently and suddenly you feel powerful and strong. But it's so true. It is. And I should mention that this is something you can also do while sitting. Often we have to, in our professional day-to-day lives, command an audience from a seated position. Perhaps it's a conference call or a team meeting. And take a moment to note your physicality. See if you can sit with your feet flat on the floor. That automatically brings you into more alignment. And take a moment to, in your mind's eye, maybe it would look a little weird in front of your team at work to pull that invisible string out of the top of your head. So <laughs> you can just take a moment and, and have a mental picture of that and see what that does to your posture and give yourself the opportunity to be sitting in a way where your breath can drop in more easily. Just a quick tip to perhaps feel more in command in a situation where you know nerves might be flying. Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically about you know, the situation of giving somebody feedback or um, having a difficult conversation about someone's performance or behavior or something. And in episode 24, I talk with Chris Plackey about how to approach a person who's kind of using some disruptive behaviors. And we talk some really good techniques about how to prepare to talk with them and the, the process of speaking with them and follow up. But what we didn't talk about is the emotional and kind of physical readiness to have that conversation. We talked a little bit about fear, but we didn't talk about the physical connection of how do you get your body ready so that you can go through that process with a little bit more confidence with kind of all the tools in your toolbox. So this sounds like the perfect kind of preparation. Are there other things that are good to do to prepare for that kind of difficult conversation you might be having? 
It's never fun and it's never easy to have a difficult conversation. I'll just say that right off the bat. But yes, there are absolutely things that you can do to set yourself up to succeed. When I do this work with people, I'll often say there's two approaches, um, two sides of the same coin, working outside in and working inside out. And so if I'm trying to give someone advice about how to have a difficult conversation, with regard to the outside in, it is taking a moment to note your body language, to note your physical presence and how that's going to translate to the person you're speaking to. These are things that you know, are often noted, but always, I think, important to be reminded of. Are you sitting in an open way, not crossing your legs, not crossing your arms? Are you sitting with your knees directed at that person? So your full energy and intention is being directed towards them. Are you also utilizing eye contact in a way that makes that person feel heard and connected to. There's an exercise I do often. I did it in the workshop we did together, a mindfulness exercise where you can put your mind's eye, if you will, your mental focus to a different part of your body, either your feet, if that helps you feel grounded, the top of your head, if that helps you feel more in control and more powerful while listening to the other person in order to maintain eye contact. That is a great way to, I think, stay connected to someone, especially if what's being talked about and transpiring between you is really uncomfortable. Also, it can be a way to allow that person to fully finish their thought before jumping back in. Something we can be guilty of formulating our response before the person has finished speaking, before we have actually really taken in what they're saying. Um, So those are some outside-in tips and tricks. But I also talk about the inside-out, and it sounds like with your previous guest, you also tapped into the emotional part and how this can psychologically be complicated. And from the world of theater and approaching this work through that lens, I think the conversation about building a character, playing a character, when an actor begins to prepare for a role, they think about the world that that character lives in, that character's reality, that character's hopes, dreams, fears. And I think this directly correlates to empathy. The person that you're about to speak with, can you really take a moment before the conversation and truly put yourself in their shoes? I think a lot of difficult conversations and miscommunications at work at their root, can have the sense I'm not being respected, that my feelings, my point of view, what I need in order to feel safe and honored in the work that I'm doing isn't being given to me. If you can begin that conversation from that place of, okay, if I truly was this other person and in their shoes, how would I want to be spoken to? I can also be a much better way to begin in order to set the conversation up to go as well as possible. That is just awesome. And (laughs) I'm because I never think about that. I never think about how do I think this other person wants to be spoken to. Mm. 
I think about how do I want them to feel when I'm done? How do what actions or behaviors do I want them to deploy when the conversation's over? What do I want them to think? I like there's like a model of think, feel, and act that I often will go through. Mm-hmm. And as I'm learning more about personality, I'm learning more about kind of how to communicate so people will listen. And from that perspective, kind of what's the best way to communicate so that I'm giving them the information they need, but Mm. not so much from an emotional standpoint of what is this person going to be experiencing in this conversation? Mm -hmm. And therefore, what can I do to help either alleviate the, the potential negative emotions or avoid them or minimize them or possibly increase maybe some of the positive emotions or just come at it from an emotional side. I I have never thought about that before. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. I I hope that it's helpful to people. In this work, I try to reference or be mindful of a lot of important work around social psychology. And you you mentioned a, a paradigm. What would you say? Think, feel, act. Think, feel, act. Yes. So there are a lot of really wonderful models out there. And then some of the reading that I've done to support my coaching, I've often seen it referenced to that, you know, it's, it's something very minimal. Like people only remember like 7% or something of what you actually say, the words that you say. And the other remaining, you know, like 90 plus percent is how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And that is connected to vocal tone and gesture and body language and physical presence. And so when preparing to have a difficult conversation or truly any exchange, really, an interview, um, a networking opportunity, a collegial meeting with your team, if you can, take an extra moment to think about that. What is the total impression you're going to make? Not just the content of what you're going to share in the meeting or the exchange, but your being, your way, how they're going to leave having experienced you and how you made them feel. I guess this is why first impressions are so important, right? It's that emotional impression that we make on someone that is so much more powerful than any other kind of information that we share. So, all right, I want to switch gears a little bit because we've been talking about all of this good stuff, but I think there's another topic that I, I feel we would be remiss to not mention, which is how women's voices are different in the workplace, how they're experienced different, how we project differently than our male counterparts. So can you talk a little bit about this owning your voice and gender dynamic? Yes. When I began in this work over five years ago now, I didn't know that working with women and convening community around this topic was going to be one of, if not the most rewarding aspect of this work. And certainly it's just happened in the last year. It is much more top of mind for everyone about how women are treated in the workplace. It falls back into that modality I referenced a little earlier, outside in versus inside out. But in this context, I think the outside in is first acknowledging inherent bias that may be at play. Again, referencing some of the studies that I will pull into this work in order to support these concepts. 
there are a few studies that have happened around how women's voices are perceived differently in the workplace, having women and men read the exact same text and that the male voices are perceived exponentially more authoritative and persuasive than the woman's, but nothing's changed between what they're actually saying. Or that if women speak up and voice their opinion and men do so at the same rate, the men's competency level is seen as higher and more respected and that the, the women are being pushy and overreaching. You know, there's the work of Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In and that partnership with McKinsey, their executive summaries online, which I believe they've refreshed over the last few years, are really important, I think, to give people some context for actually how this is showing up in the workplace. I remember being a young professional in my early 20s and coming away from some experiences thinking, well, that didn't go the way I thought it would. You know, Mm. why did no one listen to my idea? But then when Joe five minutes later, offered the same thought, they attributed the idea to him. And I felt almost gaslighted in a way. And so knowledge is power, acknowledging that it's happening. But I don't want it to just be coming from a place of lamenting and being frustrated. I first want to name it. So then we can take positive, actionable steps to counteract it. So Find an ally in the workplace. If you know that there's a particular weekly team meeting where you have a supervisor that is not giving space to women's voices in the room, is there someone else on your team, perhaps a male colleague, who can be an ally to you that when you assert your idea in the meeting will back it up, ratify it? There were some women in the Obama White House when meeting with him, they were junior advisors. And when he was meeting with his advisors, these women were finding that they would offer an idea. And, you know, it's a meeting with the president. There's a lot going on. The topic would move on very quickly. And a male advisor would say the same idea. And like I had said, it happened to me earlier, you know, it would be attributed to the male advisor and not the woman who had said the idea initially. And so these women got together and said, okay, so... Lisa, if you say we should do X, Y, Z, then 30 seconds later, Molly, you're going to chime in and say, I really like Lisa's idea. And then two minutes later, Susan will chime in and say, yes, exactly what Molly said. Lisa's idea is exactly what we should do. And they found that 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 helped. And then from the inside out perspective, this comes into the tactical techniques of breath, eye contact, And also being mindful of what I term fillers, apologizers, or qualifiers. Saying things like, I just, I sort of, I wonder if, if it would be okay. Couching the thought in these unnecessary bookends, if you will, is a way that we undercut our power unintentionally. I think they slide in when we're feeling nervous or lacking confidence in asserting our idea. And just think about this example. So I just think that we can move the meeting to Friday. That would be kind of easier, don't you think? Versus it seems as if not everyone can make the meeting on Thursday. Let's move it to Friday. 
Right. And so it's a much more unapologetic and direct way of communicating your idea and unwinding these things from the way that you speak can take time. Be kind to yourself. (laughs) It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to happen overnight. But these little techniques and moving through exchanges with a bit more mindfulness, I hope can help women feel able to speak up and able to support their ideas in a way that will help them be heard more. So I will just share that I have recently been going through a process of getting some feedback. And one person who I have so much respect for shared with me that I often use qualifiers and make myself sound less confident and less qualified. And he's like, you don't need to do that. You're so smart and you have really wonderful things to share in the conversation. And you need to stop making yourself sound lesser than because you're, you don't need to. So own it. Just say what you have to say. And so I totally resonate with what you were just saying. And when listening to you give those two examples, I was like, oh, I totally would say the first way of what do you guys think about moving the meeting over here? Wouldn't that make more sense versus this time isn't going to work. Let's just move it. You know, it's it's just amazing in the difference of how we're interpreted. And I never realized how much I was doing that. And so it's something I'm being really conscious of and trying to grow and get better at. And you bring up something really important. I'm so glad that you got that feedback from someone that you respect. And it sounds like it was given to you in a way that was helpful. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that sometimes being told, don't do that thing, right? You, you say like too much, just stop it. <laughs> that can like, well, well, how, right? So that's where an outside eye, a coach, or some techniques and tools that I use with my clients are really helpful because they give people a framework in which to unwind bad habits. And also, I think sometimes getting that feedback, again, if it's not from someone you trust or you aren't particularly already very confident in your abilities, can noodle into your brain of, oh, I'm not good at my job, mm-hmm. or I'm not a good supervisor, or I'm not a good leader. No, you are. You are smart and capable and talented, and you have the job that you have because you're the best person suited for it. And you need to eliminate some bad habits that aren't serving you. So I just want to say that, you know, for what it's worth, if there's anybody listening who is self-identifying as doing this thing, again, be kind to yourself. It takes time and you can overcome it. And it has no bearing or reflection on your ability to be good at what you do. Well said. So we're going to shift gears a second. And I would love for you to tell us about one of the amazing managers that you've had the experience working for since, as you know, this is the Modern Manager Podcast. So who do you want to tell us about today? I'm so glad you asked this question. 11th hour plot twist for anybody listening who might not know, Mimi and I actually met working in the same office. And Mimi also had the opportunity to know and learn and be managed by this wonderful woman. Her name is Deb Cravoy. And I worked for Deb, I believe, in I had a variety of roles within the organization that she ran. So five, six years. And 
I was in my mid-20s. It was my first job job with a desk and a door, you know, (laughs) and my own business card. And she was so kind and clear at the same time. She led by example. She treated me like a grown-up, even though I was absolutely green and learning about how to be a professional in the workplace. She made me feel I could come to her with any problem or challenge I was experiencing, and it wouldn't reflect negatively on her perception of me. She truly gave me a space in which to learn and grow and fail gracefully. And it was also a wonderful chance to observe someone great at their job. It was a small organization. There was no Chinese wall between the two of us. I always felt included in decisions that were happening and strategy around any project that was on my plate. You know, I felt like her peer, even though she was absolutely my manager and my boss. And I have taken that with me through my many years as a you know, professional since then. And I manage a number of people right now. And I pull from what I learned from Deb every day. So thank you, Deb, wherever you are. Yeah, I want to chime in. Thank you, Deb, because I totally agree with everything you said. She's just, she's a rock star manager. Rock star manager. Yeah. All right, Jackie, where can everyone keep up with you and learn more about Bespoken? Thank you for asking. Well, our website, bespokenpartners.com, on the Twitter, because everyone's on the Twitter, at BespokenNY. Um, we're also on LinkedIn. And if you go to our website, you'll see this nifty little pop-up where you can sign up for our newsletter. And I only message once a month. And so that newsletter is chock full of updates where you can find our next upcoming workshop, links to our blog posts, which give a variety of advice on a myriad of topics all related to this work. Fantastic. Thank you again for sharing everything that you did today. This was so fun and so enlightening. Thank you so much for inviting me. I just want to chime in at the end and say I too am such a fan of the work that you're doing and the opportunity to see how Meteor has grown and continues to grow is really an honor. You are fantastic at what you do and this podcast is great. Thank you. You're welcome. If you're eager to learn more, Jackie has a fantastic online course with Gen Connect You. Gen Connect You is your place to be empowered and inspired and earn certificates that you can share on your LinkedIn profile. You can find her course at genconnectyou.com slash courses slash own dash your dash voice. Gen Connect You is spelled G-E-N-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-U like the letter. This link, which is very long, of course, is in the show notes. And if you're a member of the Modern Manager community on Patreon, you can get a discount when you purchase Jackie's and my course at the same time. 
My course on Gen Connect You is called Leading Meetings for Results and Real Leadership. These two courses complement each other really nicely if you lead a lot of meetings. Go to patreon.com slash modern manager. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash modern manager to get the discount code. Again, all of these links are in the show notes and in your inbox if you subscribe to my newsletter. If you haven't yet subscribed, go to mamieks.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.